You're listening to audio from Christ Community Church in Fishers, Indiana. Our mission is to develop disciples of Jesus to impact the world. If you'd like to find out more information about us or donate to our ministry, please visit us at our website at cccfishers.org. Thanks for joining us. Howie Politics and State Affairs Pro offer insider election coverage, polling, and analysis in Indiana. Our nonpartisan news and legislative tools create a winning combination pro subscribers can't live without. For all the resources you need this election season and beyond, visit pro.stateaffairs.com slash in. That's pro.stateaffairs.com slash in. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Acts chapter 4. We'll start at the first verse, but just as a brief reminder, because this scripture passage, this this chapter 4, is still in the context of what's come on before. So at the beginning of chapter 3, Peter and John are going into the temple to pray. And as they go into the temple, they arrive at the beautiful gate, and there's a man laying there begging, a man who was born lame. Peter and John heal him in Jesus' name, and Peter and John and the man now go into the temple. As they go into the temple, once they get in there, the people recognize, like, hey, that's the man who's been begging for years outside. Now he's healed, and they rush over to Peter and John to find out what happened. How did this happen? Peter then begins to preach and preaches to the crowds, and it's while he's preaching to the crowds that this next part of the story occurs. So, Chapter 4, starting at verse 1. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John and, because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, We are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed. Then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to humankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. 
So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them again and commanded them not to speak or teach to all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. There's the miracle. He was over 40 and he got better. Our bodies don't heal like they used to, apparently. Anyways, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said. You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Either on Sunday afternoons or Monday morning, I pull out the text for the upcoming sermon and I begin to work my way through the passage. I try to pay attention to the main argument that is happening in that passage, the context around it, the characters, the key phrases, all of that kind of information, anything that will jump out at me really. This week as I was reading through this passage, what jumped out to me were verses 8 and 9. In those passages... Peter and John say to the religious leaders, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness. Another translation says, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done. I don't know about you, but that just jumps out at me. Because the the, the phrase in the situation itself is filled with injustice. Peter and John were on their way to worship at the temple. They see a man who is lame, laying there, begging, unable to go into the temple himself and worship. And they show compassion on him. They didn't just give him money, but they introduced him to the author of life who healed his legs so that for the first time, perhaps, this man could go into the temple and worship God on his own. And for that act, the religious leaders have have Peter and John arrested and thrown in jail. It's not the state authorities. It's not the politicians who did this. No, they were arrested by the temple guards at the command of the religious leaders. Why? For showing compassion. 
for a good deed done. And not only was I struck by this situation and, 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 and the injustice that it seems to, to have, but as I reflected on it and thought about it, I began to see how, how common it actually is, particularly in the Gospels and the stories of Jesus and in the book of Acts. This idea that, that compassion is met with resistance. In Mark chapter 2, Jesus heals a paralytic. But before he heals the, the paralytic, he says to the man, Today your sins are forgiven. Which just enrages the religious leaders who are there. In their minds, by Jesus saying, your sins are forgiven, Jesus has committed blasphemy. And so Jesus' compassion, both on the soul of the man and on his physical well-being, is met with judgment and condemnation. In Mark chapter 3, Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath, again, putting him at odds with the religious leaders. In fact, this act of healing the man on the Sabbath causes the religious leaders to go and plot to kill Jesus with the Herodians. In Mark chapter 11, Jesus cleanses the temple because there are merchants who are taking advantage of those who have come to the temple to worship. Jesus drives the merchants from the temple, and afterwards, the religious leaders come to him and say, Hey, hey, by what authority did you do that? In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus eats with Matthew and other tax collectors and other sinners, and the religious leaders question him about why he would eat with sinners. Later in chapter 9, Jesus heals a man who is blind, and then heals a man who is mute, and the religious leaders claim that Jesus is doing these things by the power of demons. Later, in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus heals a demon-possessed man who is blind and mute. And this time, the religious leaders, or again, the religious leaders say, hey, hey, he's doing that by the power of Beelzebub, or the demons. Again and again, we see that Jesus shows compassion on people, whether he's healing them, or trying to restore dignity to them, or he's, or he's making it easier for them to come into the presence of God. And as Jesus does these things, it's met with resistance. And it's met with resistance by those who have authority and power and position. And the only reason that I can think that these acts of compassion would be met with resistance is that those those who are in power and those who have position and authority are threatened. Threatened by Jesus and here in Acts by Peter and John. You see, the, the, the power and the authority and the influence of Jesus and the disciples isn't like the, the power and the authority and the influence of those leaders who confront them. So the religious leader's power and authority and position came by playing the social game as it was meant to be played. They got their education in the right place. They believed the right things. They played the politics in the way that it was meant to be played. They, they said what was appropriate and what was necessary. They adhered to the social and economic norms of the day, right? They, they conformed to the order of the world around them. 
They played by the rules to get where they are. And now, now this carpenter and a bunch of fishermen and some tax collectors and some sinners are drumming up all of this energy for a movement that's undermining the world that has benefited us. The world that we are now privileged by. The, we are on top of this order. We are benefiting from it. We have position and authority. And if this happens, if this continues to happen, we're fishermen and carpenters can sway the people, then the order that we benefit from, well, that could all be upended. So we got to stop this. And in order to stop it, they use one of the oldest systems available to the powerful to maintain the order that they benefit from. They drew a line in the sand. They put themselves on one side. And they put Jesus and Peter and John on the other. They took on the position or the role of judges. Peter and John and Jesus become the judged. Now, if you're in the position of the judged... You really only have two options. Option one is you align yourself with the judges. You align yourself with their beliefs and their, their order, the way things are supposed to work. You accept the punishment. You conform to what they're asking you to do. Or option two you don't. You don't kowtow to their desires, their beliefs, their power. But if you don't, then you will experience the wrath of their judgment. I wonder if you've heard the story of Desmond Doss. Doss joined the army uh, in World, during World War II in 1942 with a desire to serve his country as a combat, combat medic. But... He joined as a conscientious objector. Doss was a devout Seventh-day Adventist, and he took seriously the Ten Commandments, including the one that says, Thou shalt not kill. And so he joined the army, and he was assigned to an infantry rifle company. But because he believed, quite literally, in the command, Thou shalt not kill, he refused to carry a weapon. And when he, drew, when he made that statement, I will not carry a weapon, and he took that stance and he adhered to his beliefs, a line was drawn in the sand. And there were judges, the officers above him, and even those in his company. And then there was the judged, Desmond Doss. And just like everyone who is in the position of being the judged, Doss felt the pressure to conform to the order that the judges were trying to maintain. For him, you must carry a rifle. You have to carry a rifle. Why else would you be in the army if you didn't? One man in Doss's barracks actually said to him, Doss, as soon as we get into combat, I'll make sure that you won't come back. This was one of his own men that he was serving alongside of. Conform. 
be like the rest of us. Play by the rules. Do what you're supposed to do. Don't upset the order of things. Now, maybe you know the rest of the story. The rest of the story is that Doss's company goes into battle in Okinawa at the Battle of Hacksaw Ridge. Doss, again, disobeys orders to retreat during a particularly bloody battle. And instead, Doss continues to go into the battlefield and rescue those who have been injured. In all, he rescues 75 men. By refusing to carry a rifle into battle, Doss found himself in the position of the judge. But at the same time, from the position of the judge, he then is to offer up a new possibility, a new way to serve, a new way to be a, a person in the army. There's, he, he challenged the order of the day and offered a picture of something new, something that wasn't previously imagined. Peter and John in the position of judged before the religious leaders are doing the exact same thing. They are brought before them and said, condemned for showing compassion on a man. They are brought before the religious leaders being challenged because they aren't playing by the rules. Because they're threatening to upend the order. And they're being said, by, by what power, by what name are you doing this? And Peter says, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected and has become the cornerstone. Now, when Peter does this, two things are happening. First, Peter pulls Jesus into the story as both the power by which the lame man is healed, but then also as one of the judged. No longer are we just Peter and John standing here before you like some fishermen. No longer are we just Peter and John, some ordinary men. No, no, no. We are Peter and John and Jesus. Jesus stands with us. You are the judges. We are the judged. But we are not alone. And we are not without power. For Jesus, the one who God raised, stands with us. Yeah, maybe maybe you know what it's like to be judged. I think all of us do on some level. We've been, been in that position where someone's accusing us, someone's condemning us, when someone's questioning us. I, I've shared this story a, a couple of times, uh, or different pieces of it, but I've shared before that uh, I was fired as a youth pastor. One of the most distressing moments of that whole experience was when I was pulled into a room with, I forget if there were seven or eight or nine, there was a lot of other people in the room. And I was being told that, that I was belittling and arrogant towards others. And this was, what made it so difficult was it felt like I was being attacked like I was being judged and condemned. And one of the things that I asked for in the midst of that was examples. I said, can you help me? Because I, I, I don't see this about myself. And can you help me by giving me some examples of where this took place? And as I asked for those examples, whatever, whenever I asked for them, what I was told was, we're not going to talk about that. We're not going to go there. 
Those were the words I kept hearing over and over again. And so I didn't feel like my actions were being judged. I didn't feel like my actions were being condemned. What I felt like it was me. It wasn't that I had done wrong. It was that I was wrong. Something within me wasn't right. Maybe, maybe you've had a similar experience where your motives, where your desires, where it felt like your personhood was being judged by another. Take heart. Jesus ended up right there as well. Jesus was in the place of the judged. And not only that, Jesus, Jesus went to that place before us so that he could comfort us from that place. So that he could guide us from that place. So he could give us courage for those moments in which we stand in the position of the judged. Second, when Peter pulls Jesus into the story and points to him as the power by which the man was healed and as a fellow judged person, Peter takes the supposed truth about the world and about the truth of the powerful, about, about the power that the judges have, and he flips it on their head. Right? The, the, the judges thought they were the judges. They thought that they were the ones with power. But the one with all the power is actually the one who they judged. Right? The judges, the, the religious leaders, they drew a line in the sand and they found themselves in that moment when they drew that line in the sand, they found themselves on the other side of the line of Jesus, the one who God raised from the dead and through whom salvation comes. In other words, as as assume, in assuming the role of the judges, they themselves were being judged. They themselves were being judged for judging Jesus Christ. Now, one of the temptations that we have is to only ever think of ourselves as being in the position of the judged. We want to believe that we rightly perceive the world. We want to believe that we are kind and fair to everyone. We want to believe that we're kind. We want to believe our motives are pure. All, all, all of that. But the truth of the matter is, is that while there are times in our life where we can all point to and say, yes, I was in fact judged, much more often we place ourselves in the position of the judge. The great theologian Karl Barth said it like this, it is our basic sin to take the place of the judge to try to judge ourselves and others. All, other, all our other sins, but small and great, derive ultimately from this source. What he's arguing here is what he's saying is that like our desire to make the world in our image, our desire to make others conform to our expectations, our thinking, our beliefs, the judgments that we have towards others because they don't act the way that we th they think they should, that they, that they believe differently than we do about religion or economics or politics or whatever it else is. You fill in the blank. Like in those moments, we judge and that's where sin ultimately comes from. It's from us trying to conform the world to our desires, our expectations, and our hopes. We play the judge. 
But Bart goes on, Bart says this, Jesus took our place as judge. He took our place as judged. He was judged in our place and he acted justly in our place. Jesus took our place as judge. And when we try to assume that role, we act unjustly. But Jesus always acts justly. Not only that, but Jesus also took our place as the judged. So here's what I want to do. I want to take everything we kind of talked about this morning and I want to to boil it down to like three ideas in couplet form. Okay? I'm realizing now I probably should have made a, a, a slide for this, but I think you can track with me. You're very smart people. All right, first couplet. Jesus is the judge. Jesus is the judged. Right? That's what we just talked about. Jesus is the one who has the authority to judge everyone, and Jesus is the one who has taken our place as the judged. Okay, great. Second, and again, this is a couplet. We were to be judged. Jesus was judged in our place. So when we say that Jesus is the judged, what we're saying is that he took our place, right? We were destined to be judged. Our sin deserves to be judged. And as sinners, we were deserving of God's judgment. But Jesus took our place as the judged. This is good news. Okay? Okay, so that's the second couplet. Here's the third one and It's not as neat and clean as the other two. The last piece is really long, and I apologize. I just couldn't shorten it down. Third, we are not to judge. And when we act as the judge, we judge Jesus, who stands in the place of the judged. I'm going to say it again because it's, I, I understand. I just want to apologize right now. The words judged, judges, judge, like it's all over the place and it's hard to track. It's hard to say it right right now. It, I, it took a lot of time this morning. So I'll say it again. We are not to judge. And when we act as the judge, we judge Jesus who stands in the place of the judged. I think this is why Jesus gives us in the Sermon on the Mount that little saying about Do not judge others, right? Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the way that you judge others, you will be judged. With the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Now the word judge in the Greek there is the word krineo. It means to separate, to select, or to categorize. And as Christians, we are to judge things, right? So one way that that, what Jesus is saying gets twisted is when people say, well, we shouldn't judge anything. No, 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 that's not true. We are to judge. We're to judge things, ideas, right? Whether an idea is good or bad, whether something is truthful or a lie. We are to judge actions as being righteous or unrighteous, or a thing as something is wise or unwise, right? But our judgments are relegated to the, to the arena of things. We are not to judge people. What I mean by that is we are not to infer, based upon someone's actions, their worth, their value, their humanity. We don't get to to condemn a person or to make some statement that would taint the or, or pervert 
the image of God that they bear. Their actions, yes. We can judge their actions. We can call them evil, vile, wrong, reprehensible, you name it. I can say what you did, this action is wrong. But I cannot say you are wrong. Not like you wrong in your being as a human. I cannot say you are worthless, without value, irredeemable. For to do that is to put myself in the position of the judge. And when we assume the role of the judge, we find ourselves on the other side of the line of the one who is the judged. Peter gets at this at the end of his sermon. He quotes, or in the end of his little speech to to the religious leaders, he quotes from Psalm 118 and he says, the stone you builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Jesus is the cornerstone of the kingdom of God. And in coming and bringing redemption, Jesus is inviting us into the new order that, it, that the kingdom lays forth, a, a new way of being as humans, a new way of relating to one another. And part of the way in which, and part of this new order is the recognition that Jesus is both the judge and the judged, and therefore we are free. We are free of being judged, except by the one who stood in our place, and we are free of judging others, for that is the role of Jesus. This gets at the heart of the gospel, right? We who were deserving of judgment were set free. How then? As someone who has been set free from judgment, how then can I judge another person? I mean, who could I judge? The only people who I could judge, as someone who is set free from the judgment I deserve, the only person that I could judge is someone who is not set free. The only person I could judge is someone who Jesus didn't stand in the place of the judged for. And, and who are those? Who has Jesus not willingly stood in their place that I will take their judgment? I will be judged on their behalf. Who has Jesus not said that for? No one. Christ has taken the place for everyone. For you, for me, for all of our neighbors. For the most vile person that you can think of. Jesus has said, I will stand in their place. I will be the judge. I will take all of their sin, all of the condemnation that they deserve. And I will bear it on the cross so that they might have the possibility of being reconciled to God. All people bear the image of God. And all are someone for whom Jesus said, I will stand as judged in their place. And because of that, there was no one left for us to judge. For to judge anyone is to judge Christ who said, I am there. I am the judged. This, this is good news. All that is left for us then is to recognize, recognize the freedom that has been given to us. And then to love. I think this is why we can love our neighbors as ourselves and love our enemies. 
For we recognize that all of us, all of us, are people who Jesus has said, I love them so much, I will be judged for them. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. And so now, now we love. We, we, and, 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 and in our loving, we invite We invite people, come, accept this cornerstone. Accept this Jesus who is building a new reality. Come and be free. Let's pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks that Jesus is both the judge and the judged. We give you thanks for those times in which we feel as though we are being condemned at the core of our being, that we stand there not alone, but we stand with Jesus. And we give you thanks that when we were deserving of being judged for our sin, that Christ took our place. And then, as the judge declared us not guilty. <laughs> what wondrous grace. May we live from this place of grace. And may we love as we have been loved so that others might know the wondrous freedom in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.